Welcome to this podcast on liquid biopsy, brought to you by VJ Oncology. We're going to talk about the current uses and applications for liquid biopsy, the challenges that need to be overcome, and the future directions that this exciting field is heading in. The third annual congress of the International Society of Liquid Biopsy, ISLB, occurred virtually on the 22nd of October this year. Today we are joined by four speakers from the conference. Professor David Gandara from UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center in Sacramento, California. Professor Natasha Lale from the Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Toronto, Canada. Professor Heinz Joseph Lentz from the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, California. And Professor Catherine Alex Panabieres from the University Medical Center of Montpellier in France. To start us off, Professor Gandara, can you give us an overview of the ISLB conference? For those of you that don't know this organization, it's fairly young. It's about four years old. And of course, it is dedicated to uh, research and clinical application and exploring the future of all the aspects of liquid biopsy, because of course, this encompasses a large number of potential different technologies and also different spaces um, within a patient journey from uh, early diagnosis and screening all the way through advanced stage disease and acquired uh, resistance mechanisms. Um, This uh, annual meeting uh, was very well received. Uh, We had uh, over 1,500 registrants, uh, but we anticipate many more people will come on later. Uh, Last year, for example, we had about the same number of registrants But subsequently, we had over 20,000 visits to the meeting where people were going in later and saying, oh, well, I didn't hear this talk. Let me let me hear this one. So uh, it was fantastic. Um, Next year, we anticipate we will uh, at least be hybrid. uh, Everything uh, being equal for COVID, we'll see. Thanks for that introduction, Professor Gandara. Now, let's talk about how liquid biopsy compares to current standard practices, such as tissue biopsy. Professor Lale, could you discuss how these two different types of biopsy compare? We've learned that there are so many cancers now with emerging genomic markers. I really focused on lung cancer because, of course, we now have more than eight uh, potentially targetable genomic alterations that we should test for as part of our standard, but certainly in breast cancer, P3CA, melanoma, colon cancer, ovarian cancer, uh, thyroid, and uh, the number grows, and of course, new pan cancer targets such as track fusions, MSI, and others. We've learned that if you do molecular testing for your patients, and some of these subjects are, some of these studies are subject to some bias through selection, but if patients get molecular testing, of course, they have a better chance of getting targeted therapy, and these patients tend to live longer, and we've seen this in surveys as well as individual institution studies. Uh, And so then, of course, the question is, you know, what are the roadblocks to getting proper NGS testing on all of our patients in time? And, you know, in lung cancer in particular, tissue is an issue, even though these patients have lots of tumor volume uh, or often do, uh, you know, the the sampling strategy has really been minimally invasive. And so patients, you know, whether they're not well enough for for more invasive procedures, um, you know, often things are diagnosed on very small samples. And so tissues is a real challenge. And even though NGS testing rates have gone up in tissue. Even in the U.S. now, they're probably at best anywhere from 45 to 53 percent. And the most common reason why it doesn't happen is not enough tissue. And so, of course, this is where liquid biopsy really helps. 
The other challenge is, you know, not enough time or NGS isn't funded in the particular area or country, uh, you know, where we need it. Um, and so, you know, in particular, at least a quarter of patients in the U.S. start treatment without knowing uh, the NGS results. And it's perhaps even higher in other parts of the world. Uh, in our part of the world, only about 20 percent in Canada, only about 20 percent of patients have NGS results in time. And that leads to delays and poor patient outcome. So with liquid biopsy, uh, you know, we're reminded that even though it's not equal to tissue, it's a great way to get genotyping done. And so uh, the ISLC recent paper suggests a sequential approach. So, you know, we do tissue, it fails. Let's swoop in and rescue with liquid biopsy, but also a complementary approach. If we can afford it, let's test both at the same time. Or if we know tissue is going to be a challenge, let's start with a plasma first approach. And certainly in uh, oncogene resistant, oncogene uh, targeted therapy, be resistant patients, um, you know, that's already, we already use a plasma first approach, for example, failure of first and second generation kinase inhibitors. So we know that that salvage approach or that sequential approach really helps a huge number of patients, indeed, almost up to a quarter of patients that are under genotyped go on to access some kind of targeted therapy. So hugely important uh, to use plasma testing in these patients. We presented a paper looking at sort of concurrent or complementary testing in Canada. And of course, the big worry is, well, you know, who's got the money for two tests or two NGS tests? And what we found was that we find more patients with targetable alterations if we test both, 68% compared to 53%. We find the answer faster, seven days compared to three weeks and with, with liquid. And we actually saved money. So in the modeling that we did, because we were able to get more people on targeted therapy and fewer people on, let's face it, relatively inactive immunotherapy regimens, because we know that patients with uh, targetable alterations don't derive the same degree of benefit as patients with non non-targeted alterations, without targeted alterations, um, we were actually able to save money. We saved about uh, just under, uh, sorry, it's actually just over uh, $30,000 per case Canadian um, because we actually saved money on the immunotherapy and that's incorporating, you know, a, a very fast uh, commercial assay with comprehensive profiling. So, so that was very exciting for us. Uh, you know, in terms of treatment outcomes, people worry, if I find it in liquid, can I act on it? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You know, really for lung cancer now, all targetable alterations uh, that are found in liquid can be acted on, EGFR, ALK, TRAC, uh, you know, you name it, they can all be acted on, mutations and fusions and copy number gains, of course, as well. Harder to find fusions and copy number gains, so important to remember that sensitivity is not perfect. Also, sensitivity of plasma testing overall is lower, you know, around 60 to 70 percent. Um, depending on the ctDNA input. And so if you don't find it in liquid, so important to reflex to tissue to look for it. Outcomes, very similar. Whether you find something in tissue or in liquid, and you don't really need to worry about how much of the, the target you find in plasma, if you find it and your lab reports it as positive, you can still treat it uh, and, and treatment works. So, you know, a very exciting time. People often ask about, well, you know, PDL1 is the last holdout. Uh, you know, we can't select people for immunotherapy yet based on ctDNA assays. And, and you know, TMB has been promising. There's some recent data trying to improve uh, plasma testing 
to select an therapy at World Lung, Dr. Nee and colleagues looked at um, adjusting uh, TNB for the, the CTDNA mass or CTDNA input. Um, and so, uh, you know, what they found was they were actually able to refine the prediction um, in terms of what we saw in clinical trials. So, you know, BFAST looked at first-line immunotherapy with atezolizumab versus chemotherapy in patients with uh, high blood-based TNB. The study was negative, but, you know, we didn't incorporate pdl one We didn't incorporate this new uh, refinement um, looking at sort of um, CTDNA mass. And so, you know, I think we're still holding out hope, but not ready for prime time yet. Uh, and again, you know, in my clinic, liquid biopsy is paradise, but it's so important to remember that it's not perfect. Um, you know, sensitivity is not 100%. So again, if you don't find it in liquid, important to look in tissue. Not so much for actual targets in lung cancer, but in other cancers, clonal hematopoiesis can be important. You know, a lot of the abnormalities that we find really aren't actionable or, or definitely aren't actionable in lung cancer. But I think as we move forward to looking at minimal residual disease or looking at tumor monitoring based on, you know, less common or, for example, TP53 levels, um, you know, then I think we need to start thinking, okay, is this clonal hematopoiesis or is this tumor? Have we corrected using leukocyte sequencing or you know, looking at leukocyte variants? And so, so important if you're using a plasma assay in clinic, make sure you understand, uh, you know, is, is getting a result from clonal hematopoiesis a risk? How does it impact your treatment decisions? Whom can you call to find out more? And then moving forward, you know, it's been so great genotyping in lung cancer. Can we do even better? Can we move this? ahead of tissue. Uh, there's some nice data from Dr. Sharwa Agarwal and her team. Our team's also doing a study in this area showing that already doing plasma first, even before the tissue biopsy, can speed things up and get patients to treatment faster. So really great things ahead. And we're really looking forward to more use of plasma testing in lung and other cancers to really transform and improve the patient journey. Thanks for that, Professor Lyle. Some really interesting points there. We just heard about how liquid biopsy can be useful in lung cancer. Professor Gandhara, could you expand on that point? My own presentation was in non-small cell lung cancer. And what I described is the current role and the emerging roles for liquid biopsy across what we call the continuum of cancer patient care. And what that means is going all the way from uh, liquid biopsy helping to screen patients who are at risk for lung cancer, all the way across early diagnosis, post-surgical use of liquid biopsy. This is a space called minimal residual disease. And then patients with advanced disease, how liquid biopsy is being used for molecular uh, testing to determine what's the best therapy for that patient. Should it be a targeted agent? Should it be chemotherapy? Should it be chemotherapy plus immunotherapy? And then finally, uh, and this is the most common place where liquid biopsy is used for non-small cell lung cancer right now, is in a patient with an oncogene-driven cancer, EGFR-mutated, uh, ALK-translocated, who has been treated with a tyrosine kinase inhibitor for that cancer, and they've responded. And now maybe a year later, they have resistance. They have progressive disease. Using liquid biopsy to determine what is the mechanism of that resistance and then tailoring the next treatment based on those results. 
And there are two broad categories here. One is that the resistance could be within the same pathway as that original mutation. So an example here would be uh, a patient who has an EGFR mutated cancer. Uh, they get uh, a drug, uh, uh, first or second generation TKI, and then they develop resistance. We can use liquid biopsy to determine the most common resistance mutation, T79EM. If they have it, then there is a, an additional drug, a third generation drug called osmeritinib, which is the treatment of choice. Of course, some patients may get osmeritinib first line, but that's a good example. On the other hand, they may have what's called a bypass mechanism. And these would be things like MET amplification or even new mutations, such as a BRAF mutation or a RET fusion, for example. There are now a number of studies which I reviewed which show that the use of subsequent therapy is better and the results are better if you look for the mechanism and if you treat based on that mechanism. A very good example of this is the ALK TKI lorlatinib, where recent studies have shown that if it's a secondary mutation resistance uh, in that same pathway, then the response rate is about 70%. But if it's a bypass mechanism and you use that same drug, the response rate's only about 30%, and the progression-free survival and so forth match that. So more and more, we're now in the business of precision medicine, individualizing treatment for each patient. And liquid biopsy is really leading the way. And non-small cell lung cancer, because of the large number of targets and oncogenes, it's a poster child for liquid biopsy. Professor Lenz, your focus was on colorectal cancer. Could you discuss some of the uses of liquid biopsy in that field? I think that we are living in a very exciting time. Development of new technologies, of molecular characterization of cancers has actually changed the paradigm how we treat patients in our clinical practices. I think with the development of liquid biopsy, we reached a completely new level how we detect cancer, how we monitor treatment for patients with metastatic disease, and identify mechanism resistance. I think liquid biopsy will change again the way we uh, diagnose patients, how we treat them, monitor, and switch treatment. It's a very exciting time for our patients to be able to, in real-time monitoring um, patients um, undergoing treatment, as well as potentially detect cancer, replacing colonoscopies, but also identifying novel treatment options. What do you think are some of the challenges that need to be overcome for liquid biopsy? So there are a couple of different challenges how to use it. First of all, do we have access to the test and is it paid for by the insurances? And around the world, there are all differences. Sometimes it's paid, sometimes it's not paid, sometimes the patients have to pay. So I think the biggest challenge is to integrate it to make sure this is covered um, um, as a test for our patients. Second, I think there are differences how liquid biopsies are done. Most of them right now are using targeted panels, which seem to expand every six to 12 months to bigger panels. But there are two particular completely different principles of liquid biopsy. One is the tissue informed 
liquid biopsy, and the other one is the tissue uninformed. So the first one, tissue informed, is developed to increase sensitivity and specificity, particularly the sensitivity, because when we know the mutation uh, present in the tumor, you can develop a higher sensitive test for the liquid biopsy for circling tumor DNA. If you don't know the mutations, then you would do a broad spectrum. And when you do an NGS panel, you get mutations which have nothing to do with the tumor, but with normal hematopoiesis, which can be confusing. So the biggest challenge is still the sensitivity of the technology. Now, there are a lot of efforts to address this sensitivity by adding potential epigenetic testing to it, which has shown to increase sensitivity, um, such as DNA methylation, which may not depend on the presence of DNA mutations. There are also certain cancers where you don't have often a, a high frequency of mutation, such as gastric cancer. So here, the liquid biopsy implementation is much more difficult or useful in the treatment or diagnosis of recurrences. So I think the challenges is really the sensitivity and develop technologies which capture early recurrence, minimal residual disease, as well as mechanism resistance. The specificity is extremely high. If it's positive, in fact, these tumors will recur um, if they are not treated. So there are a lot of different efforts right now um, in order to address the, the, the challenges as well as the strength of this technology. The liquid biopsy are not at the point where we can act on it in the adjuvant setting to detect minimal vestigial disease. So there are many tries ongoing around the world to test what it means to have a positive liquid biopsy test after successful surgery. And the two basically uh, clinical trial designs test if we can de-escalate treatment, meaning for the ones which are negative, not to consider chemotherapy as it would be standard, or to escalate treatment, to give treatment where patients usually should not get treatment or even get more aggressive treatment. Because we have seen with chemotherapy, we can convert 30 to 50% from a positive liquid biopsy to a negative, which will impact outcome. These trials are ongoing in the US, in Europe, and Australia. So we are all looking forward to the results and hopefully will show us and guide us how we can act in the future on the results of a liquid biopsy with a test. Well, we've heard about the current standards and challenges for liquid biopsy. Professor Alex Panabieras, could you discuss where you think the future of liquid biopsy research is heading? So when Nature asked me what is the future of liquid biopsy, I really wanted to mention three main points. First, uh, I believe that we need and we need to have more interventional clinical trials to be able to introduce uh, liquid biopsy in clinical practice because we need to define exactly when uh, we need to give uh, which drug to which patient. And only interventional clinical trial will answer to this question. Uh, 
And we have uh, performed the first uh, clinical trial uh, in uh, metastatic uh, breast cancer patients. And we could prove for the first time the clinical utility of CTCs in that context. And it has been done with our colleagues in Institut Curie and many other cancer centers and uh, hospitals in France. Second, we need to combine different circulating biomarkers. So one is not better than the others. Uh, the idea is really mostly for early stage uh, uh, detection of uh, cancer. Uh, we need to combine, for example, circulating tumor cells, CTDNA, uh, exosomes, extracellular vesicles, microRNA, and we need to focus only uh, also for um, on uh, immune cells because uh, the host and the background of the patient is very important. So I would say that it might be cancer dependent that we need to combine two or three different circulating biomarkers. But for me, it's really important to have that in the future. And finally, uh, my third point that is really important as well is to try to work the same way uh, all, <laughs> I would say, scientists and clinicians. So we need to have uh, specific guidelines and we need to rely on uh, international uh, liquid biopsy society or European liquid biopsy society under the international liquid biopsy aliens uh, to go all together in the same direction. So very important. Well, that concludes this podcast on the latest updates and future directions for liquid biopsy. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then we'd love it if you left a review. Remember, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Apple, Spotify and Podbean, so we can continue to deliver expert-led content straight to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology and join in the conversation. And finally, don't forget to visit vjoncology.com for all the latest updates in oncology research.